Hi, everyone. Hope you're well. Coming back to you with another reaction video. This is going to be really exciting and really a little intimidating for me because today I'll be responding to Sam Harris and he's really, really smart. I had the privilege of speaking with him actually earlier this year, like a few months ago, uh, about the whole Kanye West debacle. You may have heard it. It was a broadcasted thing, so it wasn't recorded. Or if it was recorded, it wasn't like recirculated. So if you want that to be recirculated, maybe go message Sam on the Waking Up app <laughs> podcast platform and ask him to record that. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be responding to a short that of Sam Harris speaking about the Bible, one of his favorite topics. And uh, I hope I can generate meaningful conversation around it. And I hope you enjoy it. So let's watch. The Bible, in my view, can't be the, the real repository of our moral wisdom in any sense, because when you go to read it, you are forced to ignore certain passages or reinterpret them rather aggressively to conform to what you now in the 21st century have every reason to believe is good or a direction worth going socially. So, you know, it, it is just an inconvenient fact that slavery is endorsed in the Bible. It's, it's explicitly endorsed in the Old Testament, and it's, it's certainly not repudiated in the New, right? And, you know, Jesus told slaves to serve their masters and to serve their Christian masters especially well. So there's no place in the Bible uh, where you can get a, a truly compelling case against slavery because the creator of the universe clearly expected slavery to be a human institution. Well, except for... Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to try to steel man Sam's point first. And to steel man, for those of you who may not be familiar with this term, steel manning an argument is the opposite of straw manning an argument. Straw manning is when you take the weakest point of an argument and try to exploit it. And steel manning is when you try to see the strengths of an argument and try to deeply appreciate the strengths of the argument for teaching you something, for showing you a different perspective, etc. So I'm going to try to steel man this argument that Sam just made in this short video. And the way I would do that would be to say, well, look, yes, at a just taking the Bible at face value, right? Just interpreting the Bible in a very literal uh, sense, which is what many people do, or how many people read the Bible. It can be argued that the Bible does have, or does make an argument that slavery is at best neutral, right? There are certainly many passages in the Bible where there's no, like, repudiation of slavery, where slavery is understood as the paradigm in which people are simply existing in, and it's just a simple fact of life. And so there are many parts of the Bible that don't take up a kind of abolitionist spirit or abolitionist fervor against slavery, um, and that simply accept it as is. Um, you can find many of these types of scriptures, for example, especially, I think, in the Old Testament or in the Torah, um, as many Jews refer to it. Um, you can also find a kind of, as Sam pointed out, a kind of simple acceptance of it as it existed in, I guess it would be the Hellenistic times, which is when Jesus was was popping, you know? <laughs> and in the Hellenistic times, certainly uh, of ancient Greece, of Rome as well, certainly slavery was a part of life. The So I can appreciate that take. Of course, the response that I might ask you to think about is that 
the Bible is not a static doctrine. And many of the uh, paradigms that were being operated within, within the context of the Bible were constantly being debated, constantly being challenged, constantly being questioned. So, of course, excuse me, questioned. So, of course, there are other statements and other modes of thought in the Bible itself that do question the very idea of slavery itself. So in this, in this way, you could actually see the Bible as contradicting itself. I would see it as paradoxical. I don't know if I will have time in this particular uh, YouTube video to tease out the difference between paradox and contradiction, but certainly many of the abolitionists uh, in America and the United States were coming from that very same Christian background and were pulling from scriptures that were Christian uh, and or Jewish, quite frankly, that gave them the passion and the conviction to argue against slavery. So while you may have, I mean, it's a fact, while you have scriptures in the Bible that sort of are very neutral towards slavery, for example, speak of slavery as a kind, in a kind of matter-of-fact way, you also have, you know, scriptures in the Bible that read like, proclaim liberty unto the captives. This is something that was taken up. This is an idea that was taken up in a very forming of the United States of America and the very idea of forming a country that is based upon freedom. You see biblical scriptures inscribed in such American artifacts as the Liberty Bell. So it seems kind of reductive to say the least for Sam to argue that the Bible is merely neutral uh, on slavery or merely, I think he may, it could be suggested that he is uh, suggesting that he's even pro. I think that's very debatable. And there's a beautiful book by Tom Holland called Dominion on Christianity itself, which shows how there have always been within Christianity these constant debates, these constant struggles over existential issues like slavery. And in fact, Christianity itself, because it is present within a time of great Roman persecution of, let's say, the masses in Rome at that time, what Christianity does is it takes the symbol of the slave and within Roman civilization and within Roman society, slaves were often crucified and made to languish completely anonymously, their bodies hanging on the cross, as it were. And, and this was something that was not seen as a source of pride or as a source of, of virtue at all, but seen as something that was a source of incredible shame and incredible degradation. Christianity takes that symbol and inverts it. This is sort of the genius of Christianity. And in that inversion, regardless of what the text might say in this context versus that context, the symbolic inversion of something that was meant to tarnish slaves into something that is made to make the slave sacred or really say to civilization that this person who has been defeated or uh, totally uh, destroyed is actually somehow victorious in their destruction. I mean, this completely changes the language of how we relate to each other today and indeed paves the way for centuries later what comes to be known as the abolitionist movement within America. So I do think it's interesting and I haven't seen the rest of the clip so it's possible that Sam addresses and destroys all of these points that I'm making right now. 
But I do think it's a reductive and uncannily so, or not in Sam's usual tendency to be reductive in this way. It's also the fact of the matter that wisdom is... There's something else about his argument that I find fundamentally just a misapprehension of how human development works. I mean, wisdom is in a way cognitively distributed in the sense that I did not invent the English language and neither did you. (laughs) It took millions and millions of people, indeed it takes millions and millions of people to develop linguistics, to to develop a language. And similarly, it takes millions and millions of people interacting with their environment, interacting with uh, different settings and situations and contexts that emerge in their environments over time to actually get to, let's say, a more positive, appropriate relationship with something like something as terrible as slavery. And so to create this or portray this picture of society as a snapshot in time, as something that is completely separate as though it is as though our society is not a generative product or outcome of these debates of these wrestlings of the failures but then you know recapitulations or relearnings of our civilization as a whole over time um the failure of sam to portray societal development in that way which is in fact how society develops um at least based upon everything that i know is odd to me And so that would be my biggest challenge of this worldview. The idea that I, Chloe Valdry, am sitting here a completely atomized, isolated, decontextualized individual who is not, in fact, a product of billions of years of evolution, to say nothing of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of cultural evolution, linguistic evolution, right? This constant churning, gamification, which is a, a term I'm using loosely to mean getting in right fit with the environment, which is what all of my ancestors, and here I'm counting the whole of the human race to be my ancestry, right? The fact that this idea that I'm not the product of that is an interesting one, but a false one, ultimately. I think it comes out of this very much like enlightenment, disembodied, right? Think of Descartes, body-mind separation, sort of disembodied viewpoint that decouples a person from the environment, whether that environment is their local environment and or the processes that have taken billions of years to occur such that a person like me or a person literally me could emerge. And it's ironic that Sam Harris, who is someone who I think appreciates, I mean, that's an understatement, appreciates science and appreciates and has an understanding for these processes would not root or ground his critiques of Christianity in general, of the Bible in general, of religion in general, in an understanding of those processes. I think it's a very, uh, and I'm generalizing here, but I think it's a very enlightenment way of viewing the world. And I think it's also ironic for the following reason. I just learned this fun fact from an incredible book I'm reading called Debt, The First 5,000 Years, uh, which is an incredible book by David Graeber, Page Turner, highly recommend it. I'm learning basically everything I could ever hope to learn about money and debt and capitalism and communism and where these concepts come from. Not just, you know, again, the past 100 years, but the past 5,000 years. It's really quite incredible. 
One of the things that comes up in this particular text is the etymology of the word free or freedom. And actually, this is very important when you think about it in the context of this conversation about Bible and slavery, right? The word free, our English word free, comes from the Germanic root, which forms the same word as friend. And originally in the ancient world, what it meant to be free was to be someone who was capable of entering into obligations, into connections, into a sense of embodied relationship with other people, whether that be friends, family, both, etc. To be free meant to be a person who belonged, belonged within a society, a local society, a local neighborhood, a local context, right? And had a sense of obligations, rights and responsibilities, something that actually tied that human being to the rest of his society. In contrast, a slave was someone who was stripped, kidnapped, and stripped of all context, stripped of all sense of family tie, friendship tie, etc. And I think this is very interesting because in our modern sense, that has been flipped on its head. We tend to understand Uh, not obviously not everyone, but a lot of us tend to understand in popular culture, and we portray this. You can hear this in music. You can hear. You can see this in movies. You can see this even in the history of the Wild West uh, within the American context. This idea of freedom as being without ties, right? This idea of freedom as being without attachments. This idea of freedom as being without any sense of obligation. When in fact, that was the original meaning of what it meant to be a slave. <laughs> and that's crazy. If you really stop to think about how linguistic shapes reality and reality shapes linguistics, and there's this dynamic coupling between the two and how this this marks, this, this reflects really a change in the value system that we have had uh, as a civilization. But I think it's ironic Right, that is precisely the absence of an understanding of that coupling of the fact that it's, like I said before, billions of years of processing, cultural processing, uh, evolutionary processing, etc. Uh, we can just look from the time of the Bible to now and actually see how, in fact, without the time of the Bible and without going through that process and without the people who were sort of part of that worldview and part of that time, going through that process that they went to of asking these existential questions and doing um, this sort of like learning and er making errors. Yes, of course, 100%, but also learning through those errors. Like without those things, we, we would not exist in the same way that we exist today. People forget that it was many times, you know, it was often people who were seeking out you know, answers to how the universe actually worked in contrast to what theological institutions like the Catholic Church were superimposing upon people. You know, pe folks like Isaac Newton and others were like very much interested in the way the cosmos actually worked. But those same people were very much impacted and a product of the religious ecosystem of their time and in fact yearned for the divine and yearned for a sense of the transcendent. And it was that yearning that propelled them to seek truth in the first place. So what Sam presents as a contradiction is in many ways, or I don't even, I don't even know if it's good to say that he presents it as a contradiction. He sort of presents it as a, as this decoupled process where there are these people over here who happen to be against slavery 
And then there's the Bible that says certain contradictory things about slavery. And neither of the two shall meet when, in fact, it's like there's a process happening over time. And the people over here are actually a product of that process. And it's ironic that we're talking about slavery versus freedom because originally what it meant to be free was to understand yourself as ensconced in a process that connected you to your fellow neighbor and your fellow human, right? But in fact, a lot of thinking that came out of the Enlightenment inverts that and says, actually to be free means to decouple yourself, to atomize yourself, to isolate yourself and see yourself as simply this individual decoupled from from these processes that came before you, which is ultimately a delusion. Okay, I landed that plane. It took me a while. I hope that made sense to you. Made sense in my head. Sometimes it doesn't quite make sense when it uh, gets articulated. Let me know what you think, as always, in the comments. And of course, thank you to Sam Harris for just being you and providing the the flavor, the, the cuisine, the recipe that I get to vibe with uh, and have a, a beautiful intellectual jam session on. Let me know what you think in the comments again, and I'll see you on the next video. Cheers.